you can sit there. It's enough to clip the ear if you need to. Fantastic. Let's pray for these guys as they bring the word to us. Father, we thank you for Dennis and Sheila. We thank you for their faithful witness to you. We thank you for the many ways in which they inspire us. We thank you for their desire and passion for you, which is undimmed, Lord. We thank you for them and for all they prepared for us this morning. We pray that you will prepare our hearts and our minds. Spirit of God, speak through them. Speak to us that we may be recreated in your image. Amen. Tom has kindly volunteered when I asked him (laughs) to read the passage we're going to work towards. This is the set passage. So, Tom. It's entitled, thank you, Instructions for Christian Households, verse 21 of chapter 5, Ephesians. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. 
Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Tom. We're going to look at the background to the letter, and more than that, we're going to share how we tried to work it out. In a addressed to households, and Roman law defined marriage as a monogamous institution. However, in practice, it was not like that. The master of the house had the legal right to divorce, and could force themselves on their inferiors pretty much as they pleased. And in Paul's day, women, children, and slaves were to submit to the head of the family. Slaves would submit until they were freed, male children until they grew up, women and girls their whole lives. But Paul did not suggest overthrowing Roman society to achieve a change, but instead he counseled all believers, you have a choice. This is the way you are to live under Christ. The next slide. Thank you. What I'm very keen to say straight away is we are all different. We've all got different life stories, different circumstances, but this is what it says in Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Paul emphasised the equality of all believers. So, as we share, our purpose is to encourage everybody <coughs> to follow Jesus. And we need to look at what is behind these scriptures. What does the Old Testament say? Where are these quotations coming from? And if you may remember, when Moses was given instructions about building the tabernacle in the Old Testament, you've got this frequent phrase, make sure you do it according to the pattern. And that's really what I want to establish. What is according to the pattern in the Old Testament? We read in Genesis 1, so God created mankind, that is human beings, male and female, he created them. 
and going on to Genesis 2, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man or took part of the man's side and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. So we get that statement right at the beginning. God created mankind, male and female, he created them. There is no other biblical genders, male and female, full stop. One human being was separated into two, man and woman. Being taken apart from each other so that one could supply <clears throat> what the other lacked. Entirely complementary by design. Going on, for this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This really sets it out. It was endorsed by Jesus, and we've read it again in our Ephesians passage. Leaving. The leaving is public and legal. The new bond and obligation transcends the old. The there's a lot in this leaving. Because we had boys, forgive me if I'm always talking about boys, we encountered girls later, <laughs> which I'll tell you about. So the boy leaves his mother and father and is joined to a woman, his wife. So the mother and father have to let go. The son and girl, they have to let go. They are establishing a new household. And by the way, the son... Has, as he leaves, has to be joined in some measure to the wife's family. Wow. The wife's family, you'll guarantee, will be different from your family. Guaranteed. So there's a huge letting go process all around. When uh, we had four sons, when our um, number three son, Pete, <coughs> he came home one day and he said, uh, oh, Ali and I have got engaged. Then he looked at me and said, Dad, you don't look very pleased. <laughs> he was 19. <laughs> I said, Pete, you are a bit young. 
happily been married over 30 years. So it was okay. Talks of scripture talks about being united, that is, in friendship, and one flesh, physical union. Only when men saw women as life companions rather than sex objects were women elevated in the ancient world. This is, as Martin was saying, it's countercultural. I tell you, it's still countercultural today. So, coming on to the code, slide six, I think. It's a code of household duties. Can I just put it in the stand? I think it's really. Cr is that all right? Because it's really crackly, isn't it? Oh, is it? I'm oh, sorry. It's not. I don't know if it's on the. You haven't been using your hand. Okay. Always open to correction. <laughs> it's a code of household duties, not rights. And at the beginning it says, submit to one another. And at the end it says, there is no favouritism with him. So the whole thing is framed in not having pride, this is my position, da-da-da-da-da. It's all about submission, duty, and, by the way, there are no favourites with God, as in Galatians. Now we come on to wives. It says, wives, <coughs> submit yourselves to your own husbands. Or in the Greek, it just says, Wives to husbands. And in the message it says, to the woman he said, you'll want to please your husband. It's in Genesis 3, after the fall, it says, God is speaking to the man, to the woman, to the serpent. He says to the woman, you will want to please your husband. So the woman Oh, past. In the, in the Bible project, it says, respect her husband. Allow her husband to be responsible for her. Now, my wife <laughs> is a very wise woman. She's possessed of great common sense. And she's wiser than me in all sorts of areas. For example, in the overall financial planning, which we all have to do, she's wiser than I am. She's wiser than I am in planning ahead. When I was a highway engineer, I was put in charge of a small section at one time which was called forward planning. <laughs> it was called... Indeed, it is still a subject of merriment. <laughs> because. Not paid for it. It's not your turn yet. 
The idea was that instead of looking at improving a particular section of road, you looked at the whole route. Do we really want this whole route improved? How is it related to other routes? Forward planning. It still makes us laugh. So how did it all work? Well, after we talked issues through, we'd pray about them, and for the most part, we would be in agreement. However, there were occasions where we were not in agreement. And sometimes those occasions demanded a decision. A decision had to be made. And I would make it as head of the household. That would be my responsibility to make that decision, which I did. And when you look back, one is uncertain. Once you've made a decision, you can't envisage what it would have been like if you'd made the opposite decision, because life just goes on. So some of our decisions were okay, some we still wonder about today, some we still don't agree about, but I made the decision as the head of the house. That's the first story, more to follow. She's cracking the whip behind me. <laughs> This is supposed to be serious stuff. <laughs> In the message it says, the husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. And in our very male household, because we had four boys, a moi, five to one, I didn't always protect my wife in the way I should have done. But on the whole, she was cherished. We were very male-dominated. As I say, when my eldest son and his wife had a child, it was our first grandchild. And um, <coughs> we all knew there was a baby coming. We didn't know whether it was a boy or a girl. So he rang me up one morning. He said, oh, Dad, 8 o'clock was... He said, oh, Dad, the baby's here. I said, oh, great, great. I said, what is it? He said, it's a girl. I said, David, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was against the pattern. It's against my way of thinking. But in a way, it's, it's a way of reenacting the Bible's story the gospel story. The husband representing Jesus and the wife representing the church. Coming on to husbands, it says, husbands, love your wives. It's not in the Greek the word for um, deep sexual passion, eros. It's not philio, tender affection, but is agapeo. Totally unselfish, striving for the highest good of the one loved. 
prioritise his wife's well-being above his own. Very high bar. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her, we read. For this reason, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. The husband's position as head and his duty of sacrificial love and devoted care for his wife are but pictures, imperfect, but the best this life can offer of Christ as head, of his love, self-sacrifice and concern for his church. The dependence of the wife on her husband and her duty to accept his leadership are a picture of how the church should live and act towards her divine Lord. In Colossians it says, Husbands, love your wives, do not be harsh with them. And the qualifications, you want to be an overseer or a deacon, as set out in 1 Timothy, says the overseer is to be faithful to his wife. And finally, in Revelation, you still get this picture of bride and groom, husband and wife. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed, for her husband. Husbands love your wives, make her more and more beautiful. The husband and the wife may accept any function and responsibility in society, but if they have accepted before God, the responsibility of marriage and a family, these must be their first concerns. The marriage is more important than church or a career, both of which have tripped me up from time to time. Marriage, number one. Church, Coming on to children, says children, obey your parents in the law, that is in the Christian home. Fathers, do not exasperate your children or provoke them to anger or discouragement. Says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And God said to Abraham way back in Genesis 18, Abraham, so that he would direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And in Deuteronomy it says, these commandments impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. In Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, 
he will not depart from it. One scholar said, parents should care more for the loyalty of their children to Christ than for anything besides. Tell you a few stories. My wife has written four books. They are very widely read. They're called David, John, Pete, and Michael. By the grace of God, they're all going on with the Lord in their different ways. So what did we do? Well, first of all, we always had family meals. There would always be conversation and talking, but it would be regulated. In as much as some boys could quite easily dominate the conversation, that was not allowed. That's enough. Now, what do you think? And... Um, at meals, sometimes <coughs> we'd read the Bible a bit, sometimes we'd talk, sometimes I'd get a dictionary, choose a word, talk about that word. It's not that we were scholarly or anything like that. In fact, my wife describes me as a dim intellectual. <laughs> True. <laughs> but it was a way of sharing. And also, when it was bedtime, I uh, always went upstairs and we had a procedure which was known as putting them down. <laughs> True. So every night I would go up and um, I'd talk to that boy and we would maybe pray. Well, not, not maybe pray, we always pray. Maybe a bit of teaching, maybe a bit of sharing. And I did that for years and years and years. Sometimes, sometimes I'd forget. And then this plaintive voice would come down the stairs. Dad, you're going to put me down. <laughs> so they were duly put down. And then there's the question of work. You know, of course, all families require work to keep the ship on the road. So it's very important they're taught to work. And uh, you start and teach them no later than when they're two. You teach them to empty the waste paper baskets. And uh, one of our boys, he was constitutionally unable to tidy up. So toys everywhere when it's time to go to bed. So I would get down on the floor and say, one toy, you put away one toy. One toy, one toy. So they tied it up. And um, on Saturday morning, when they came down to breakfast, there'd be a note beside each plate. These are your jobs. I don't know what you're laughing at, John. <laughs> so they were not free to do anything else whatsoever until they'd done their jobs. And of course, 
you know, as they got older, the jobs got, you know, go and cut the grass, trim the hedge, whatever it was. But they always had jobs to do, Saturday morning work lists. But we did have, you do have, what I'd call <coughs> golden moments. And one of those moments was um, at John, who married with um, his first child was a girl, got six grandchildren, six girls. <laughs> and um, we heard him telling Emily off. And he used the exact words we had used to tell him off. Yes! It's a golden moment. And actually, we had what I was for me as a golden moment recently because um, Sheila, many of you know, has had a knee operation and there were some issues around that which made us hesitate and we were very concerned about. And um, John and Jill were visiting and they all, they all knew about it, there's nothing hidden. And they uh, sat down and Jill asked us leading questions. And we answered those questions. And John said, we agree with those answers. We will stand with you. And then he prayed for us. Golden moment. Thank you, Lord. It talks finally about slaves and masters, which we are not terribly familiar with, but we can extend to employers and employees, which is really important. It's quite a long time since I was at work, but I retired when I was 70. But, um, you know, we're all... We're all the same. We all need to hear about Jesus. And we're all the same. There are no favourites. One scholar says, Paul does not make a frontal attack on slavery, but he's certainly putting a time bomb under it. It was not, not with the culture. Readable now. Share. Thank you very much. I think it almost is better standing here than sitting there because, as you can see, I was having a job not to pull faces at certain <laughs> points in the conversation. To me, the whole basis of this is submission one to another. So although we are talking about husbands and wives today, it, it's bigger thing, it's bigger than that. God is speaking to us all, I believe, um, on this question of submission. Submission, first of all, to Christ. And um, you'll realize probably that I wasn't a doormat. He told me later he didn't want to marry a doormat, so I wasn't a doormat. Um, 
I, <laughs> we have survived for over 64 years, as a, not as a doormat, I would say. However, let's go back to the uh, submission, one to another, because we want, first of all, to submit to Christ. And it's out of reverence for Christ that we want to submit. And I believe that, in fact, once we have submitted, learned to submit in measure, obviously we don't do it fully, we, we, you know we're human, but once we learn to submit to Christ, it is easier then, or should be, to submit to each other and to those we work with and those that we have any relationship with. So these, um, what we're talking, principles we're talking about, it's not just husband and wives, it, it's the people you work with, it's your family, your mum, your dad, your cousins, any people that um, you have a relationship with. So this question of um, making decisions, yes, that's quite true. Um, I was happy for Dennis to uh, be the leader in uh, once the decisions had been made, but I had had my say. He had listened, and we had talked about it. So if he wanted to take the responsibility, if God wanted him to take that responsibility um, of making the final decision, well then, he has to stand on that uh, decision that he's made. And God will uh, see to it that um, that's his responsibility. It's not, not mine. To me, it's quite a relief, actually. And if he's made a bad decision and things happen that as a result of that, they are his responsibility. And he is um, responsible, obviously, to Jesus as well as to me, for making that decision. Um, if you try in a relationship, I think, in a relationship, if you're trying to struggle to get your own way, <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, and I think that this is something that we have to learn in whatever relationship we have. I couldn't come to that point myself in allowing uh, Dennis, well, yes, you make the decision, you go ahead. I couldn't come to that point until I came to a point of realizing from Ecclesiastes, God says that the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. And if I didn't fear God, then... I couldn't, well, I couldn't function, could I? I certainly couldn't function in a way that would please him. It's a wholesome fear. People don't like the word fearing God. I once asked a prisoner, because we used to go into prison, and we took a little uh, Christian group in the afternoons, and um, we were talking about fear, and I once said to a prisoner, do you fear God? He said, yeah, no, I don't fear God. What he meant, he wasn't. All he knew about fear was being shouted at and whacked by a father. And that was all he, he could think about fear. It wasn't that respect um, for his father. And therefore, he answered me, no, he didn't fear God. 
I have to tell you, I do fear God. And if I didn't fear God, then I couldn't live uh, allowing a man to be uh, the leadership in a relationship. It's a wholesome fear. Um, the message says um, that God will judge. God, we know that. God will judge. And the message says he will bring everything we've done out into the open and judge it according to its hidden meaning. Sometimes what we say is not what we really mean. And this is, speaks to me about scheming. It doesn't work. In verse 25, husbands love your wives, I was pleased to find in the Living Bible that there are twin, twice as many words telling husbands... Ah, oh, wait a minute. Yes, twice as many words telling husbands to love their wives as it says wives submit to their husbands. That's interesting, isn't it? Twice as many for husbands to love their wives. So he who loves his wife loves himself, therefore he does himself a favour. So does he have to love himself first before he can really love his wife? So what does that love mean? Does it mean, does he value himself before God, before he can really love his wife? In terms of self-sacrifice, of course, as Dennis has said, it should be making his wife's well-being of primary importance to him. God sets a very high standard for a man when he marries. I'm just looking at you now. It's a very, very high standard. And he must cherish his wife. Even when she's distracted by children, he must still cherish him. And I must say, I have been cherished during the last 18 months with my uh, having had the operations. In fact, sometimes, to be honest, I've been over-cherished. <laughs> You can get over-cherished. It's then called fussing, but... <laughs> Our job, ladies, according to verse 33, if you're a lady in the position as a wife, you are asked to respect your husband, even if he over-cherishes you. However, talking about relationships, they're very dangerous relationships because they're exactly what the enemy wants to attack. Whether it's a husband-wife relationship or any relationship, he, God, the, God wants to work in that relationship and the devil does not want it to prosper. So, it's not surprising to me that if you read to the end of chapter 6, you will find that we're supposed to put our armour on, all of us. Put our armour because the devil does not want relationships in church, in work, husband and wives, in any situation. He does not want them to perish, to flourish. Therefore... 
I find in chapter 6, if you read it on, you are told, you are advised to put on your armour. Now, a lot of what Dennis said, I have to say, may be quite out of date for you because I know situations are different now and it's not always possible to have family meals. We were fortunate it was, it was possible. So please sift out of this what is relevant to you. So we come on to Ephesians 6, chapter, uh, verse 1, children and parents. That's a direct instruction to children, obey your parents. It's quite simple there, really. But it isn't simple to work out, is it? We're told that children are a blessing from the Lord. In the chaos of family life, I often used to say, are you sure? Are you sure, God, about that? I really did. Because sometimes it was very difficult to see that they were a blessing. They are jolly hard work. Jolly hard work to train in obedience. It just says it, children obey, but it's very hard work to help them to obey. But I have to say to you, mothers and fathers, if there are, if you are still a mother and a father, if you ever were a mother and a father, if you ever will be a mother and a father, God will help you. He encourages you to choose the right path. I find that the message uh, version of what you, you read before um, about training of a child, the message version is... Point your kids in the right direction and they won't be lost. It says, point your kids in the right direction and you won't be lost. And it's lovely to think that those of you are parents who have brought your children here and they are now being helped to know Jesus. So if you're a parent, it's a very high calling from God. In fact, I think... It's a sacred task. And for that, we need every bit of help and wisdom that we can. But I, leave a, I believe a mother is appointed to bring up children in God's way. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't have survived. Did I manage it always? No, I didn't. I couldn't stand here and say that I did. No, I didn't. But I was always aware that God was there to help me and he was there as a goal. Something, somebody, something I should attain to with his help. I find that um, some parents find it necessary to give children elaborate explanations of why they are told to do something. Now, we must remember that children are immature and they cannot, they can't take all those explanations. It is very simple. No is, means no. I mean, it doesn't need a whole lot. They can't understand why you have got to that position of saying, no, don't, no, don't touch that, it's hot. Don't fall on the fire. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do... 
those things. They can't understand why you've got to that position. You don't need to make long explanations to children. And I sometimes heard mothers in shops having the most awful argument with their children because they're trying to... The ch thinking the child can understand everything. They can't. They can't. No just means no. And children have to be helped to learn that. The response, parental responsibility is huge before God. But I do notice in the Old Testament, as you said, God told them to do this and they didn't always do it. The children of Israel did not obey and did God say that doesn't matter? We'll pass on to the next thing? No, he didn't. He punished. And I firmly believe that a child needs to be punished in the same way as there are repercussions before God if we disobey God. There are repercussions. And so I believe a parent has to punish. How you do that is up to you. It was different for us. We're talking about when we had our first child 58 years ago, I think it was. Well, it was very different. But you'll find a way with God to say no means no, and if you can't obey, then you are punished. When you, a child reaches adolescence, it's slightly different. And I'd see that it's necessary still to obey God's word, it's necessary that the child should obey, but it's more like honouring. I translate obeying in that sense with the teenager as honouring your parent. And actually, in the Ten Commandments, it simply says, honour your mother and father. So what position are we in if we're 40, 50, six even, and we have parents. God's told us still to honour them. And I've often been, as it were, reprimanded by God that I was not honouring my mother or my father enough. Because I didn't necessarily agree with them, it didn't mean that I lost that sense of honouring. He's brought me up often on that score. So honouring, I believe, is very important. So what's the final conclusion? You look back on life, and I am very, very grateful to God. He set me a pattern for, as a mother. He set us a pattern as a husband and a wife. And as I said, we didn't always manage it, definitely. Did he set that bar too high? He said he'll help us. We've heard this morning that he loves us so much. He doesn't just want to leave us to muddle through on our own. He'll help us. So we can't say he set the bar too high. There's always a goal to aim at. Can I finish off with a funny story? In the beginning of this century, there's a couple who were quite important um, both as social, uh, they changed, tried to change society. He, uh, I'm talking about Lord and Lady Longford, those people who are a little bit older will remember them. 
and they were keen Christians, Catholics actually, and they lived a long time. They were married over 60 years, and on the diamond wedding, somebody said to them, to, mid, to Lady Longford, have you ever thought of divorce? She replied, divorce? Never. Murder, often. <laughs> that is truly one for the ages. Thank you. Um, thank you, Dennis and Sheila, for sharing your wisdom, your experience, and